Yeah, great video. And it's a great lead-in to the topic of our morning, which is fellowship, because of the results of all the fellowship they've had through these 40 years, I think is part of the real reason that they have such gratitude for all of you and for the, the relationship that we've had through the years. That is the topic of our uh, message today, fellowship. As you know, we're, we've been going through a series on the wife of the church, an acronym, W-I-F-E, that stands for worship, instruction, fellowship, and evangelism. And the church that has a balance of all of those four things is going to be an unstoppable church. A person who has a balance of those four things is going to be an unstoppable person. So today we're going to look at the third one of those, fellowship. Uh, before we do, though, I think we need to ask the Lord to guide our thinking. So would you pray with me? Thanks, Lord, for the chance we have today to investigate, to understand, to put into practice something that you invented, something that you have practiced among the members of the Trinity. Long before creation, there was fellowship between the Godhead. Help us as we try to take a glimpse into that and understand what that means for us and how it makes us unstoppable. So speak to our hearts. Touch us where we need touched. Encourage us where we need that as well. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start by taking a look at the culture that we're in because often the culture that we exist in here in America pushes us in the opposite direction of fellowship. Um, we are a self-made nation, right? We pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We are individualists. We want to excel and stand out as individuals. Uh, that is highly valued in our culture here today. We call it individualism. Independence is highly valued. Individual rights take center stage. It's good to be self-reliant. People are considered good if they're strong, self-reliant, assertive, and independent. And these are good characteristics to have, aren't they? We all need some of that. But isn't it true that often the very things that are our strengths in our personalities or whatever can also become our weaknesses when they're taken to extreme. Well, and then you add to that the fact that we're not only individualistic, but we are relativistic. Our culture has done away with absolute truth. What's true for me might not be true for you. What's true for you might not be true for me. And then on top of that, you add privatization, what I believe shouldn't matter to you. You can't ask me about what I believe because it's mine. And you put all three of these things together, the individualism, you, you put the relativism with it, and the privatization, and you know what that leads to? That leads to a very self-centered kind of life. And that kind of life leaves a lot of devastation in its wake. I know you know about all the one another's. If you've been in our church for a long time, you know all the one another's, the statements in the Bible, you know, those over 40 statements that have the words one another in them, love one another, encourage one another, stimulate one another, love and good deeds, all of those things. Did you know that the Bible also has negative one another's? especially in the book of Galatians, Romans, 1 Corinthians. Let me read through some of them. And as I read through some of these negative one another's, 
I'd like you to think over the last few years in our country whether you have noticed any of these things. Because they, I believe, are the fruit of a, of a self-isolated kind of culture that has combined individualism with relativism and privatization. Listen to these. Lusting for one another, judging one another, depriving one another, biting one another, devouring one another, destroying one another, provoking one another, envying one another, lying to one another. Haven't seen any of that lately, have we? Hating one another, grumbling against one another. You see, that kind of a life brings lots of confusion, lots of disagreement, and from that comes lots of chaos. We're seeing it all over our country, isn't it? And, and all over the world, really. But, you know, it's, we're not exempt in the church from that, and, and our families are not exempt from that because we tend to absorb the things that we're around. And so it alienates us from one another sometimes, causes chaos in our world, but it causes chaos in our personal worlds. Our families sometimes break up. Husbands and wives have trouble getting along. Marriages break up. Work relationships are affected. And sometimes it even causes depression and other uh, psychological and physical things uh, on, on ourselves because of these things. So it's dangerous to do life on your own, which is why I put in your main idea here, don't go it on your own. Don't do life on your own. Don't be that individualistic to an extreme person that destroys all the relationships around you. Don't go it on your own. Instead, number one, go with God, and number two, go with God's people. We're going to investigate what those two things mean, and we're going to be in the book of 1 John. 1 John, you heard it read earlier to you here today. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 3 on through verse uh, 7. Uh, but uh, we're just going to look at 3 and 4 right now. So here's what it says. That which we've seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, I have two questions about those verses. Number one, it says, that which we've seen and heard, what was it that they've seen and heard? And then number two, the second question is, why are they sharing it? So the answer to the first question is, clearly, one of the things that they'd seen and heard was the gospel, right? We're told in uh, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They'd seen him come to earth, live on earth, uh, walk this earth, die for our sins according to the scriptures, be raised from the dead in the third day, and then ascend to heaven. They saw that. They were eyewitnesses. They want to share that gospel story with us. But there's a second thing that I think they want to share that's always not so obvious to us. They saw the relationship between the members of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
I mean, look what he says in the next verse there in Peter. He says, For he received Jesus, that is, received honor and glory from God the Father, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. They saw the relationship between Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father. And all through the rest of Scripture you see that relationship. Jesus said himself, I and the Father are one. He said, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And believe me, in that relationship of the Trinity, there was no confusion. There's no disagreement. There's no chaos. There's total unity. That is fellowship. We'll look at that more closely in just a minute. So that's the answer to the first question. That's what they'd seen and heard. Now the question is, why are they sharing it? He tells us in those verses, if you look at those verses again, what he's saying is, we want to tell you about this so that you can have the same kind of fellowship that the Trinity has and that we have with the Trinity. We can all have that fellowship together. That's one reason. The second reason is in verse 4. He says, I want you to have joy. It's a joyful thing. It's not depressing like a lot of our world is. It's just the opposite, which is why our culture and world kind of fight against what God has for us. So what does it mean to have fellowship? Well, the word, the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, a word that probably you're well familiar with, right? Koinonia literally means sharing, participating, communing, having fellowship. It's often used in the terms of a marriage contract where a husband and wife agree um, to a joint participation in the necessities of life. It's, it's kind of a partnership. And, and so in the world, you don't have to have, you don't have to be born again to have some kinds of fellowship. I mean, people often have fellowship around ideas or around a meal or around a certain um, um, kind of thing that they're both participating in, a cause, for instance. You know, they fellowship all the time in the world. But G, uh, the Apostle John is talking about something different here. He's talking about something much deeper. He is talking about participating in the interests of God. And I think we get a clue what he's talking about when we look more closely at the relationship of the Trinity with each other. The Bible is full of explanations and descriptions of what that looks like, but I love the way Tim Keller, a pastor who used to be in New York City, he's retired from that now, in his book, The Reason for God, puts it this way. He, he explains this relationship beautifully. He says, each of the divine persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, each of these divine persons centers upon the others. None demands that the others revolve around him. Now, let me just pause there, because what he's describing is, if you're a self-centered person, like the person we're describing in our culture, then you believe you are the you are the center of your universe. Everyone else and everything else revolves around you. What he's getting at here is the Trinity is just the opposite. Each member of the Trinity revolves around the other member of the Trinity. Listen to what he says. 
Each voluntarily circles the other two, pouring love, delight, and adoration into them. Each person of the Trinity loves, adores, defers to, and rejoices in the others. And that creates a dynamic, pulsating dance of joy and love. The early leaders of the Greek church had a word for this, perichoresis. Notice the root of our word choreography within that word. It means literally to dance or flow around. And you and I, as believers in God, are invited into that fellowship. The fellowship of the Trinity, the fellowship with John the Apostle and all of the other believers were all invited into this together. Not only that, we were created for that. Remember back at creation, we were created how? In the image of God. We were designed for that kind of fellowship. We're not satisfied without it. In that fellowship, there's perfect love, there's perfect joy, there's perfect peace, there's perfect unity, harmony, belongingness, acceptance, and joy. This is what we were designed for. It's why God says in Psalm 27, Seek ye my face, and we need to answer like David answered, Thy face, O Lord, will I seek, because that is where our joy, peace, and unity will become. That's where fellowship starts. And there are many pictures of this in the Bible. I, I think of John 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He says, abide in me. Um, but I really like the picture, and I'll just, we don't have the time to go into all of them, but one of them that I do want to share with you is in uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. It's a picture that we can all relate to, and it's a beautiful description of the fellowship that Jesus and the Trinity wants with us. It says there, Behold, I stand at the door, like at the door of your heart, and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. I love that because it's a picture that we can all relate to. We all go out to dinner with friends, right? Why do we do that? We do it, well, we, we need the nourishment, but we do it with somebody because it's enjoyable. We do that because over that meal, I open my heart to you. You open your heart to me. We deepen our relationship together. I learn what's important to you. You learn what's important to me. We're almost like doing the dance of the Trinity where I'm circling around you, focusing on you. You're focusing on me. The bond between us grows. That's the picture of what Jesus says, I want to do with you. But you have to open the door of your heart to that. Uh, I won't force my way in. Uh, this was written, we often use that verse to non-believers to invite them to come to Christ, don't we? But if you look at the context in Revelation, that was written to the churches, the seven churches in Revelation, who were already believers. It's all about fellowship. Will you open the door of your heart to that kind of fellowship? That's what Jesus is looking for. That's where our satisfaction comes. Now, there is something that can stop that fellowship. It's found in the next two verses of 1 John chapter 1. Look at verses 5 and 6. It says, This is the message I've heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. 
If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. What does it mean to walk in darkness? Don't sin? Well, that's the end result of it, but actually starts before that. I like what Ray Stedman, who was a pastor of Peninsula Bible Church out in California, Palo Alto, California, he's passed on now, but he has a beautiful description of this. Listen to what he says. To walk in darkness means to walk as though there were no God, for God is light. In other words, he says, it's like being a practical atheist. Of course we all believe God does exist, but we live like he doesn't. We just go about our daily duties as though he's not there. Forget about God. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I make my own decisions. It's kind of like when you go into a room that's really well lit up. How do you make that room dark? Turn on the light switch. Turn the light switch off. Sometimes, isn't it true, we have the tendency to go through life on our own. In effect, what we're doing is turning the God light switch off. And we're doing life on our own. It's just the opposite of what we're told in Proverbs 3, 6. Right? In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That's what we need to do is open every area of our lives up throughout our whole day. If you're going to work, you're opening it up to God. You're opening the door of your heart for God to speak to you, and you're ready to listen and obey what he says. You take your kids to the park, you're listening for God. You're bringing God into it. You go to a movie, you're bringing God into it. Whatever you're doing, you're working at your hobby, great, bring God into it. He is part of everything that you do. That is walking in the light. And when you walk in the light in that way, it keeps you from sin. Does that make sense? Walking in the light is simply just walking. It's what we said in John 15 was abiding in him. When we don't do that, it's like turning the God light switch off. We walk in darkness, and we end up sinning. God is just trying to help us here with these instructions to walk in the light. So you could say in that walking in the light then equals letting God speak into everything that we do. So let me ask you, are you experiencing that? Are you experiencing the fellowship of God no matter what you do, no matter where you go, when you get together with friends? Are you having that relationship of the Holy Spirit where regardless of who you're talking with, you're circling around God and God is circling around you and you are bonding together? Do you take special time out of your schedule to just be alone with God and have that kind of fellowship? I'll give you some suggestions later on at the end of the message that can help you with that, to help you get to that place where you have that joy of the Trinity in your heart. But let's go on to point number two. Go with God's people. Go through life, yeah, go through life with God. Don't do life on your own. Go through life with God, but also go through life with God's people. We see that in verse 7 of 1 John 1. It says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, 
we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So Dr. Gene Getz was a professor down at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary when he was teaching about the early church and how the early church functioned. And he was basically teaching on, he didn't call it the wife of the church, but that's what it was, worship, instruction, fellowship, and evangelism. He was teaching all these principles to them. His students looked at him and he said, okay, prof, if these principles are so good and they really work, why don't you start a church and prove it? So he prayed about it. And he did. Fellowship Bible Church in Dallas was started. And he incorporated these principles. That church grew by leaps and bounds. Soon there were more than a dozen churches that they had started in the Dallas area. That dozen group of churches grew to more than 300 churches all over the country and all over the world in places like Poland. Those principles really work. The church is unstoppable, right? When you operate according to Scripture, that church is unstoppable. And it just grew and grew and grew. Well, <clears throat> Marty Berglund was an elder in that first church in Dallas when he was in seminary, which is why when I, he started this church in Medford, those same principles were brought along. Scriptural principles. Well, that Dr. Gene gets in a book that we used to use in our small groups here called Building Up One Another, he says this about fellowship and about the one another's. We'll talk about the one another's in just a minute because they are the crux of what fellowship is. Listen to what he says. I have discovered that no emphasis is more important than to teach Christians what the Bible says about these one another injunctions. He's talking about spiritual growth. They're the most important thing when it comes to spiritual growth. Yeah, Bible reading is important. Um, prayer is very important. But what really helps us grow together and brings us fellowship together are when we function like God intended using these one another statements that I referred to earlier. Let me put a few more of them up on the screen. We don't have time to go through them all, but look what they say. Accept one another, love one another, serve one another, confess your sins to one another, exhort one another, admonish one another, teach one another, bear one another's burdens. And the thing that you've got to notice about all of these, and we've said this before, if you're new to our church, I'll say it again because it's so, so important. You have to know the other person in order to do these one another's. If you're sitting next to somebody and you noticed on the way in they did something that really wasn't quite right and you want to help them out and avoid, help them to avoid getting into trouble and you try to admonish them, but you don't know them or have a relationship with them, what are they going to do? They're going to turn to you and say, who made you boss? What, you don't even know me. How, how can you tell me what to do? You got to have a relationship with them, which leads me to a statement that Marty made when I first came to this church. I, I love this statement because it's so true. He said, the tracks have to be laid before you can deliver the load. The tracks of relationship have to be built before the boxcar of the help can be delivered to you. 
We need those relationships, and that's why we are called Fellowship Alliance Chapel. We have small groups so that we can ha develop those relationships, so we can encourage one another, lift one another up. Without knowing one another, you can't really function in fellowship with one another. Oh yeah, even if we have fellowship vertically with God in the way the, the Holy Spirit and the Trinity works, we've got to know one another to really have the fellowship horizontally. You've got to have the tracks laid to deliver the load. And we need each other. Because I can't see everything that I need. I can't understand how to get where I need to go by myself. Ted Malone was a CBS radio uh, personality in the 40s and 50s. He had a morning radio program and uh, one day he got a letter from an Idaho sheep herder, of all things. The letter said this, Will you on your broadcast strike the musical note A? I'm a sheep herder way out here on a ranch far away from a piano. The only comfort I have is my old violin. It's all out of tune. Would you strike A so that I might get in tune? Malone struck the A, got a thank you letter back, that said, now my violin is in tune. You and I are like those violins. We need outside influence. We need each other to get ourselves in tune. That's how we do, because we can't see each other. We can't understand what it is we need. Oswald Chambers, who wrote My Utmost for His Highest, that devotional book, said this, it is astounding how ignorant we are about ourselves. We do not know envy when we see it, or laziness, or pride. We have to get rid of the idea that we understand ourselves. It's the last conceit to go. Wow, what a statement. We can't see each other like we need to. We can't see ourselves like we need to. We need each other to show us. The second mini church that I was in, they minister, these small groups can minister so much to us. We called them mini churches back then. We call them community groups now. And so the second community group that I was in, we met on a Sunday night one night, and uh, everybody was down. It had been a tough week. Some people, it was because of family problems. Some people, it was because of work problems. Everybody just seemed to be having a difficult time. So the leader of that group, and I know many of you have had this same experience, just threw out the study for that night and said, we need to circle each other. You know, fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son. And so that's what we did. We talked we asked questions, we prayed for each other, read scripture to each other. And by the end of that night, everybody was so encouraged and strengthened and ready for the next week, had tracks to run on to know what to do, felt like we were supported. It's the fellowship that we had with the Holy Spirit that night because it was the Holy Spirit guiding those conversations and the scriptures that were shared, bringing things to mind and just orchestrating that whole thing.
I was in another community group when someone confessed a moral failure. There was confession. There was forgiveness given. There was tracks laid for a path forward. How do I not fall into this again? There was instruction. There was encouragement. There was teaching. All of these things happened orchestrated by the Holy Spirit, by the Trinity. It's a beautiful thing. Now, that's why we have small groups in our church here. I know a lot of churches have small groups. They do prayer and Bible study, and we do that in our small groups too. But that's not why our small groups were started. Our small groups were started so we could do the one another's, love one another, encourage one another, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. I was part of a community group in uh, 1998 with Beth and Stan Schroeder. Uh, Beth had been diagnosed with cancer. Many of you know her. Stan was an elder at one point in our church. And so I asked her if I could share with you about that group because very significant things happened there that I think illustrate and demonstrate how significant fellowship with one another is. She'd had a biopsy, and it was not good. The problem was that there were lots of doctors who had different ways of treating it, and so it was an excruciating decision. How am I going to know which is going to work for me? How do you make a decision like that? I know lots of people are faced with decisions like that, and it's a tough decision. And so one night, yeah, I mean, here she is. She's four young children, and she's asking questions. Am I going to be able to see them even grow up? Am I going to see them get married? Am I? Because this was a very serious case. I think it was in July we got together in our group, and it was a beautiful thing to watch. It was the dance of the Trinity that occurred that night. People would share encouragement. People would share a scripture, another thought. Just the, the orchestration of who shared what and when. As I look back on it, it was just a Holy Spirit moment. We had learned a song from Saddleback Church in California called, I Will Stand With You. Somebody began to sing that chorus. We all joined in. The words were these, I will stand with you, we will fight the fight. I will stand with you through the darkest night. I will stand with you as God gives us might. Hand in hand, hand in hand, we will stand. It was an amazing, amazing night. So the other day when I was talking to Beth, I said, Beth, what was this like for you on that night? How do you view that night? Here are some of the things that she said. There was nothing like it. It was real, not just words. Suffering was lightened by this group. We physically put our arms around each other, and it, it no longer was about the outcome. It was about inviting God into the middle of it, and I learned God can be trusted. Wow. She says, I've used that moment over and over again, sharing with our kids 
and sharing with my clients. She has clients now. She went back to school, believe it or not, became a state-licensed, state-certified nutritional consultant. I think now she has more letters after her name than are in the alphabet. She's got quite a, a resume. But God met her. God met all of us. This was, this was the Spirit ministering to every one of us who were there, and we will never forget that. Since then, she has seen her kids grow up. She's seen them get married. They've given her grandkids. But a little over four years ago, she had a recurrence of cancer. And although that group of people had since gone on to other ministries and other small groups, other community groups, we all got together again, shared, prayed, and sang like we had that first night and so she says today, she's not cancer-free after four years, but she says today, I can live with freedom, with grace, and with hope because it's not about the healing. It's about the trusting. It's about the hope. She said, when we gather and invite him in, he is present. It's incredible. It is not just a mystical moment. It is so much more. It's a foundation to move forward with. She became unstoppable. All of us who were involved in that had our faith strengthened to the point that we're unstoppable. The church becomes unstoppable when we have that fellowship with God and the fellowship with one another. It's what keeps us going to the end. J.I. Packer is a British theologian best known for his book, Knowing God. Listen to what he says about this kind of fellowship. He says, we should not think of our fellowship with other Christians as a spiritual luxury an optional addition to the exercises of private devotion. We should recognize, rather, that such fellowship is a spiritual necessity, for God has made us in such a way that our fellowship with himself is fed by our fellowship with fellow Christians and requires to be so fed constantly for its own deepening and enrichment. And that is exactly why the apostles in the early church, we are told in Acts 2.42, were devoted to fellowship because it was not optional. They lived in a culture as bad or worse than ours, with forces pushing against God, pushing against fellowship, so they devoted themselves to fellowship. And that's what God is suggesting you and I do. Why? Because it's the thing that's going to take us to the end. There's a passage of Scripture that I, uh, I skipped here that I want to go back to because it just talks about that being solid to the end. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 say this, Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now look at verse 14. For we have come to share, that's the word koinonia, we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, to the end of our lives or until Jesus comes back. Fellowship is God's means. It's what he uses to keep us solid in him to the end. If we don't have fellowship, we're in danger. 
That's the means God uses. That's what this verse says. This verse is saying those who share in Christ are those who persevere to the end. How do we persevere? The verse right before that one, which says it's the one another's. They're the means God uses to keep us safe to the end. And so I love those verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I think it's verse 8 and 9. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, he is faithful and will make sure you get there. You are unstoppable if you're in fellowship with God. Amen? Or in fellowship with one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the strength there is in you, for the encouragement that the dance of the Trinity can give us if we stay in tune, if we're in the dance with the Trinity and in the dance with one another. Help us be there. Help us be devoted to it like the early apostles were. We need your strength. We need your help. We need to be open to you. We need to be hearing your voice in all our ways, acknowledging you, having fellowship no matter what it is we're doing. And Lord, in a moment, I know we're going to have a moment to come to the Lord's table. Communion, which is that same word, koinonia. I pray as we go into that, that you would help us all experience that dance of the Trinity, you caring for us, us ministering to you. Remove anything from us, bring to our mind things that we need to find forgiveness for so that we can walk in the light and have unhindered fellowship. So be with us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Just before Russ comes to do the uh, communion service with us, I want to put a couple of uh, websites on the screen that will help you. The first one, prayertoday.org, if you go to the center of that page and scroll down a little ways, you'll find two free downloads, one a book and one a workbook that will help you in your uh, dance with the Trinity and communicating and uh, fellowshipping with the Trinity. The second one is all about the 40 days of prayer that's going on with the Christian and Missionary Alliance. It started the 4th of January. It's going to go for 40 days. We're in the middle of it right now. You can download daily devotionals there. Every Wednesday at noon, there's a, um, a video cast where two of our leaders We'll share some things and we'll pray together. There are themes that we're all praying about as we go through this. I encourage you to use that to fellowship. And then if you need to connect with God's people, join a community group. Uh, uh, Russ mentioned it earlier, or serve with someone. If you stop out in the uh, atrium, there's a big uh, sign there that says next steps. They will help you figure out where you are and what would be your next step to develop the kind of fellowship that we've been talking about here so that you can become, what? Unstoppable, right?